Good morning. Can I move this? All is right with the world. Two years ago, uh, Dave called and asked if we would do, wanted to do a Christmas series together. We did carols. I don't know if any of you were here for that and remember that. Uh, so we've done this before. And this year when he called, he said, hey, what do you think about doing another series together at Christmas? I'm like, awesome. Yes. For three reasons. You ready for this? First of all, it's fully selfish. My family's here. Thank you. Um, any opportunity, I love my family. I'm probably the best family in the world. They're a blast to be around. They're fun. Nothing, it's perfect. Nothing's wrong with our family ever. <laughs> totally, totally messing with you. Um, but it's fun to come down and be with them. And so I'm like, that's a free trip. Let's do it. I'm in. The second reason is, and he didn't know this, but uh, in September, we went to three services. <laughs> and the first one starts at 8 a.m. in the morning. And so he's got to be there like at 6.30 a.m. I just didn't tell him. I'm like, man, that's great. Absolutely. I'm in. Because, so he calls me this week. He's like, mate. I'm like, yeah. He goes, you have three services. I'm like, yep. <laughs> and that's awesome. So he is already, matter of fact, he's starting his second one right now. And they say preaching a 20-minute message is like working an eight-hour day. He's going to be tired. Anyway, uh, so that was, that was number two. The third reason is you don't know how much our church loves your church. And uh, God did something really cool to bond our hearts with yours when the tragedy of the tornado hit Washington. And our people ask all the time, how's Connect Church doing? How's Dave doing? How are the people there? And, and so you need to know, when, when I come here, this is kind of like home. And it's good to be here and get to hang out with you and process life with you. And you just need to know, I mean, I've got friends that I've known for a long time sitting in this room, and it is just great to be with you. So thanks for letting me come, um, and, and I promise that two differences, the difference between Dave and I, Dave is short-winded and I'm long-winded, so I called him this morning, I said, don't make me look bad, dude, I go for like 40 minutes, don't shut it down in 20, people are going to be like, I like that, and then when I get back, it's going to be like half the time, and it's going to be bad, and they're going to, anyway, I won't go that long, I'm going to talk fast, I'm a fast talker, is that okay? Uh, if it's funny, laugh, if it's not funny, laugh, it just makes me feel better. Um, and I, I believe in laughing. I believe in humor. I think it's part of life. We need to laugh more. How many would agree with that? So we'll have moments to do that. Also, we're going to have moments to be challenged. We don't come to church to just have our ears tickled and hear something that makes us feel good. We come to be challenged. And, and Dave does that. I've got to listen to some of his message, and I am a big fan of his speaking. So no different than that. This morning, I, I feel God has given me something that could help us. Uh, that could literally change our lives. We're in this series, Awaken the Wonder, and we started ours at the same time you did, and I got to share, and I stumbled onto something interesting that I just wanted to share with you. Why in the world would we need to awaken the wonder? Why is that even a conversation that we would have in church today? And here's why. Studies have proven, or studies have shown, that 99% of the wonder that we experience in life happens during childhood. And that as we get older... The wonder goes. We lose the wonder. And, and I, I shared stories of, of how that, what that looks like. When, when we were little, we would, we would be driving home, and, and we had this wonder of McDonald's. Have you ever had that? Probably not as you get older, because you lose it. It's ridiculous. But as, as kids, when we would come home from church, we would be like watching to see if dad was going to put the blinker on to go to McDonald's. And, and you wouldn't say anything, because if you asked, it was an automatic yeah, you just you didn't ask, and so it's like we're waiting, and we're in the back seat, and we're like, mm, yeah. and he, if you put the blinker on, it'd be like, yeah, oh, we're going to McDonald's. 
adults. And it would be like, you know, Big Mac, filet fish, quarter pound of fruit. I mean, it was the whole deal, the smell, it was awesome. And then you get older and you lose the wonder because you realize that you don't even know what's in that. <laughs> and you could have it anytime you want. And so you lose the wonder, Six Flags. I mean, we live up by Six Flags. And so we got season passes. And uh, as, as a kid, you're just like, Six Flags, like it's awesome. And you're like, the, the line's an hour long. And your kids are like, so what? This is awesome. And I'm like, it's, a, it's a, like a 10 second thrill. So what? This is awesome. And it, it, as kids, it's bigger than life. But as an adult, you're just going, it's hot and it's sticky and it's expensive. And do you know what I mean? We lose the wonder. I could go on and on. Let's put aside the spiritual dimension of this just for a second and talk about the scientific research. Uh, because I think a lot of times we think that Christianity or God and science doesn't, don't complement. They actually do. And it's interesting that science is actually revealing God. And one of the studies has proven that people who experience wonder, whether they're followers of Jesus or not, people that experience wonder have a diminishing of self-focus and become more apt to be a giving, honoring person in the culture in which they live when they experience wonder. Studies, research have proven that if you will let the wonder exist when you look out into creation, when you see the little things and just go, wow, if you will let that happen, you will have a better understanding of who you are in the grand scheme of things, and in your wow, you will lay self aside and experience who God is. Isn't that awesome? That's just like God is doing that, and we don't even know it. And so there is a need to awaken the wonder because we live in a very selfish age, do we not? I mean, self drives so much. Even in the church world, we have a consumer culture where if you don't please me or you don't make me happy, I'm going to leave. And so we said in the first week, we said this, embrace the smallness that is you so you can be impacted by the wonder that is God. Embrace it. So we have a resizing problem, and we need to understand in the grand scheme of things, we are small, and God is huge, and every day he's showing off if you would just look around. And just simply go, wow. And as you do that, you will understand how small you are. And yet, even in your smallness, the God of the universe loves you with every bit of passion that he loves everything else. He knows the number of hair on your head. And for some of us, that's a lot to keep up with because we lose it regularly. Or some of us completely. I, I know, I'm, I get it. And he loves us that much. And so, wonder is important. So as we look at the Christmas season, we see these three words all the time, peace, joy, and hope. They jump out. These are God's words. These are amazing words that sometimes we see and we go, it's a nice idea, but I'm not sure that I experienced that. I'm not sure, especially at this season. And so uh, Dave and I sat down at, at Bob Evans and uh, just decided who was going to take what. And I said, I've spoken on joy a lot at our church. I said, it'd be awesome if they had a different perspective. And so I said, I'll take peace. Not really thinking about this topic. I mean, talking about the wonder of peace, like for real? Do you see the culture we live in? Then I just have to tell you, right off the bat, you need to understand, God created every one of us. I believe that. And we're created in his image. And so you were designed for a peace that is unshakable. And yet we live in a broken world. And we are not experiencing the peace that God has promised we would have as those who choose to follow him. And so I'm sitting there going, well, we gotta talk about the wonder of peace. And literally, here's what it is. We're gonna, I'm gonna challenge you to refix your eyes. Refix your focus. Refix your gaze 
if you will, um, as, we, as we jump into this. And, and so I was, I was processing this, and I'm going, God, you got to be kidding me. The wonder of peace. This is Christmas. Have you been to the malls? I mean, we stopped doing Black Friday and made it Thursday. I mean, we're ridiculous. We want to extend it even into Cyber Monday. I mean, you got to understand, this is not a time typically of peace. How many of you get stressed out during this time? How many of you know you got a lot to do and the schedules and the birthday party, I mean, the Christmas parties and all these things, and you go to the mall and everybody's crazy and weird, and you're going, really, peace in that time? How do, how do I experience that? And then we look at individual lives and we see the turmoil and the breakdown because we're unhealthy emotionally or unhealthy physically or maybe worry and anxiety are controlling who we actually are. And you sit there and go, how do I experience peace when my relationships are falling apart? And then you just turn your eyes to the world in which we live in and you see the war and you see the hurt, and you see the hunger, and you see the poverty, and you see and you hear, you open your phone app and go to the Associated Press, and you just see how people walk into places in the name of religion, in the name of an agenda, and in the name of whatever, and they begin to shoot and kill innocent people, and we need to talk about peace? Are you kidding me? And I'm having this conversation with God. I'm like, There's, I'm out. There's no way. People aren't going to get this. And I just simply said, God, what do you want to say? Because this has to come from you. And I got to tell you, God doesn't speak to me in these booming, audible voices. I think I'd have a heart attack if he did. Literally, I would, I would die. It'd be like, whew. So that doesn't happen. It's just this inner voice that just simply said, Dave, paint a picture. I want you to paint a picture. Just paint a picture for everybody of peace. And not just any peace, but my peace. Paint a picture. I want people to see my peace and go, wow. See, our peace meter is a lot like the Christmas spirit meter on Santa Claus' sleigh in the movie Elf. You know what I'm talking about? There wasn't enough Christmas spirit, and so the sleigh didn't fly. And so they needed to put some kind of a jetpack on it to make it fly. And I think sometimes we think we need all this human resource to bring peace. And God is saying, listen, you just need to pursue peace, and your meter will go up, and you will experience what I always planned on you to experience. So we've allowed a 90-degree shift to keep us from experiencing peace that simply isn't impacted by circumstances, chaos, hard times, war, or conflict. Wouldn't you love a peace like that? that nothing could touch. So maybe you're not at peace, and, and you gotta do your own inner searching, but maybe you're not at peace because all you seem to be able to think about is the chaos, the difficulty, the problems that keep you in a constant state of unrest and anxiety and worry. Maybe you need an eye of adjustment of about 90 degrees. And if you get anything this morning, take this away. Instead of staring horizontally at the chaos and your problems and the difficulties, what if you started staring at those and glancing at God? What if you started gazing at God and shifting your focus to him and simply glancing at your problems? The chaos, the circumstances, the situation. Could it be that simple that we focus all of our time and our attention on what's happening in front of us instead of keeping our focus on God and simply Letting him show us how to view those things. That's a good idea. So the Bible says this of, of our God, Isaiah 26.3. You will keep in perfect peace all who trust in you, okay, and all whose thoughts are fixed on you. You will keep in perfect peace. Okay, so perfect peace sounds perfect. I'm just saying. 
You will keep in perfect peace all who trust you. So I know there has to be a level of trust that God's got it. And those who fix their eyes on you. So it is a gaze issue. Fix their thoughts and their hearts and their focus on you. Let me, let me draw this out um, using my two-year-old. I have a two-year-old. His name is Paxton. Uh, we call him Wrecking Ball. And, and he's, he's at that two-year-old stage. He's way into two, and he's having a blast being two. And I'll come home, and the moment he knows I'm home, he's fixed on me. Uh, he knows where I'm at, where I'm going. And we like to do these little things at our house. I don't know if you like to do these. They're called naps. Do you do those? Some of you like never, ever get to take a nap. But we like to take naps. And so I'll like sneak away and I'll just go upstairs and I'll lay down. And literally within seconds, as you're starting to get into that good sleep, you know, you're drifting, he comes and jumps on top of me. And I'm just like, I'm gonna act like he's not there. And he'll start prying my eyes open and he'll get his lips right on my nose and he'll just start talking, dad. And so I wake up and I'll take him downstairs and I'll like, okay, hon, we gotta be strategic. I gotta fake him out. And so we'll do these faking moves and whatever and confuse him and I'll go lay down. Guess what? He's on top of me. The kid is unrelenting. When I'm home, he knows I'm home. I gotta tell you, God's home and he's not hiding and he's not strategic. And if you're not able to find him, then it's not him, it's you. So what would happen if we kept our gaze and our eyes fixed on God? I think we would experience a peace that can't be touched by people, places, or things. Peace is about where you fixed your gaze. That's what peace is about. So I paint. I paint a picture of his peace, and I pray that you see the wonder in it. So let's pray. God, this, I'm using human words, and this is a divine promise. And God, we live in a culture and an age where peace is often far from our grasp. And the wonder of peace is even further. I pray you would wake us up today. I pray we would grasp something that we could just say, wow. I pray you would reveal that. God, help us not just be coming here going through motions, but let us lean in to whatever we may not like, whatever sounds good, whatever seems to apply. And God, may we live this life you've called us to live. In Jesus' name, amen. So let me, give you, let me give you three things. Let me start way back in the beginning, if I can, in the Old Testament with the prophet Isaiah, because he prophesied it. He prophesied about this peace. And here's what he said in Isaiah 9, 6. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, and if that wasn't enough, Prince of Peace. Who do you want to get your peace from? The culture we live in, the people around you, or the prince of it, whose dad is the king of it? I mean, this is awesome. I mean, right there, Isaiah is saying, you need to understand, not only is he all these amazing things, but he is the prince of peace. Talking about Jesus. So what does that mean, the prince of peace in a world of turmoil? That means that Jesus, the prince of peace, is the only one who can give us unshakable peace. That's what that means. Your circumstances aren't going to get it. That happy home and all those things you're looking for, the highest rate of suicide in the world today is among rich people. That's not going to bring you peace. The only one that's going to bring it is the prince of peace. Matter of fact, somebody said this, there will never be peace in the individual heart or at the peace tables of the world until the Prince of Peace reigns supreme in the hearts of men. And so, yeah, I'm telling you, in this moment, you gotta trust that that's true. And if you're a follower of Jesus, you gotta know that that's true. 
And it changes everything when you do. So Isaiah prophesied it, the Old Testament, introducing Jesus, the Prince of Peace, hundreds of years before it would happen. And then the angels, the night that Jesus was born, proclaimed it. And Dave read this last week. We didn't know that we were both reading the same passage, but I want to read it to you again, and we'll highlight the joy that he talked about. But man, there's something that even comes before the joy that feeds the joy, and it's peace. Here's what it says. Luke 2, 8 through 14. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. And the angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. I mean, if a bunch of angels showed up to you one night in a field, that would freak you out. So it's okay they're afraid. And the angel says to them, don't be afraid. Thank you. I bring you good news that will cause great what? Joy. So here's the joy piece for all people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. Boom. The fulfillment of the prophecy of what Isaiah was talking about, right there confirmed. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. Suddenly, a great company of heavenly hosts appeared with the angel. Can I just, can I just tell you, tradition, in Jewish tradition, whenever a son was born to a family, a lot of the musicians from the town would come and they would play music in celebration. And so Jesus is born in a, in a stable away from that experience, so heaven shows up. That's awesome. Okay, that was a side note. Praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest, heaven and on earth, what? Peace to those on whom his favor rests. Does that say peace to everybody? No, I mean, this, we gotta, you need to understand this. I, I have to tell you this morning, when we jump in and we decide to be a follower of Jesus, there are promises that are ours because we've made that decision because we're walking and we're going after God. And he's telling us right here, the angels night Jesus was born, proclaim it. And on earth, peace to those on whom his favor rests. Here's what the angels are not saying, and you need to understand this because I think we get this confused. They're not saying that there will be physical peace on earth when Jesus shows up. Matter of fact, Jesus promised when he left this world that there would be wars and rumors of it and those things have to happen. He's not talking about physical peace. So what are the angels singing about? It's the peace that can be experienced by the people who live in God's favor. Let me put it another way. Maybe this will resonate. Or peace among men with whom he's pleased. Why would God not be pleased with me? Have you ever thought about that? Let me tell a joke that isn't really funny. <laughs> you don't start jokes that way, by the way. It just ruins it. But there's a point. I just wanted you to know it's cheesy. So I'm just preparing you. There's a man in a hospital, he's close to death, and the minister shows up, and he's like, listen, have you made your peace with God? And the guy looks at the minister, and he's like, I really didn't know that God and I were fighting. I know, it's not funny. But here's what it does. It paints a picture of one of the problems in our world today, that we think everybody's just okay, and that everybody is at peace with God, and nobody needs to make their peace with God. And that's exactly the problem that we experience. Matter of fact, T.A. Harris wrote a book back in 1969. You can go get it, actually. It's called I'm Okay, You're Okay. And that message has been so thoroughly ingrained in our society's psyche that no one wants to suggest that a person is not okay with God. I mean, that's, that's a no-no. How could you even suggest someone might not be okay with God? That's judging. And so it produces this belief in universal okayness, and it's one explanation for all the good cheer during the Christmas season. 
Even people without God can be cheerful because our cultures convince them that miracles happen on 34th Street without God. Or that it's actually a wonderful life even without any explicit reference to Jesus Christ. I know I just messed up some of your movies, my movies too, I love those. But according to this way of thinking, God is sort of like that great, great grandfather in some way far off nursing home called heaven. And it's true that we don't see him very much, but on the other hand, who would be silly enough to suggest that we would be at odds with the old guy? And that's the kind of belief that's necessary if someone wants to believe that he or she has never had a quarrel with God. But listen to me, you gotta hear this. That kind of wishful thinking ignores both the presence and holiness of God. God is not somewhere far off. God is right here. He says that he'll never leave us nor forsake us. He says where two or more of my kids come together, I'm there in the midst. He is everywhere. He's omnipresent. And to suggest that he might be somewhere far off is to miss who God is. He's not far off. He's right here. And because of his holiness, he's actually offended by our sin. See, I need to find that if I can. Because the enemy of peace, and this is what we're talking about. How do I lose the peace that God has for me? Because many of us have lost the wonder of peace. How do I lose it? It's not really the chaos. Chaos happens. And the Bible that I read says that we can have peace in the chaos. Troubles and problems and difficulties and trials and all those hard times, they will come. That's not the enemy of peace because the Bible that I read says that I can have peace in the midst of that. So what is the enemy of peace? It's sin. And the Bible says that he who knows the good he ought to do and doesn't do it sins. How do I know what sin is? You know, it's really easy. You just grab the Bible and you start reading it and you do what it says. You follow Jesus. And when you make a mistake as a follower of Jesus, his mercies are new every morning and you say, God, I messed up, forgive me. Because if you continue in it, the wages of sin is death. What does that mean? That God wants to kill you if you sin. That he hates you and he's against you. And so if you sin, the wages of sin is death. God's done with you. That's not what it means. It just means that the natural progression of doing what God says don't do is death. Why does God say don't do it? Because he loves you. Let me give it to you this way. Put it in a way maybe you'll understand if you're a parent. If you're not a parent, I apologize. You're a kid, then maybe you need to start shaping up because this will help you. (laughs) If you're a parent and you're going away and you're going to leave your kids at home by themselves then you're going to set up a series of rules and things that you need them to follow, not because you want to squelch their fun, probably what they would perceive to be fun, but we know that that's not fun. That's going to burn my house down. And so you set up a list of things, boundaries, that you need them to live and walk in because if they don't look both ways before they cross the street, they will get hit by a car. And that's what, the, that's what the Bible is. God's put up boundaries to say, listen, I, I'm, Jesus comes out, he goes and he's sitting at the right hand of God and we have the Holy Spirit to help us determine what this is saying. But he's saying, listen, I've given you, I've left you, it's yours, take care of it, but here's how you do it. And when we walk away from that, we sin. Whether it's sin we commit or sin we, things we don't do that God wants us to do and we omit. Are you, are you with me? That kind of thing robs peace and you can sit here and go man I'm just I'm overwhelmed yep you're not trusting Jesus right you're overwhelmed because you're worrying you're overwhelmed because anxiety set in I'm not saying those aren't real things I'm just saying maybe we ought to go on a journey and say what are the things in my life that I'm not trusting God to that are robbing me of my peace what if 
the things that keep us from peace in the midst of all that we're going through is really something to do with us or something someone has done to us and we either need to deal with it or let it go. Okay, I'm going long. I'm sorry. Let me say it this way. People of all ages are not naturally or automatically at peace with God. To the contrary, the Bible actually teaches that those without Jesus are at war with God. And the only way that they can know peace with him is through the sacrifice of the one who was born that night in Bethlehem. Romans 5.10 puts it this way. Listen, while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son. So, so God's going, I don't want to be enemies. I don't want you to live without peace that circumstances in life can't touch. I want to be in relation, and so here's my son. Jesus just wasn't born so that we can celebrate Christmas. He was born to die so we could celebrate life. See, that's what the angels were talking about that night. Christmas peace begins with peace with God, and that peace is a result of becoming a disciple of Jesus. Don't miss that. You can say I'm a Christian, but by whose definition? See, I can ask 10 different people what a Christian is, and I can get 10 different answers, but you go in the Bible and look at what a disciple is, you get one definition. So which are you? A Christian by your own definition or a disciple by God's? Because when we step in and follow Jesus the way he's called us to, because he understands the boundaries that are needed to live this life, we experience peace even when life throws crap at us, whether it's brought on by ourselves or by other people. Does this make sense? Okay, I'm wrapping up. Oh, wow. Okay. So last one. Isaiah prophesied, the angels proclaimed it, and Jesus himself says it. Here's the picture. Jesus says it. John 14, 27. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. I do not give you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. How many of you have troubled hearts at times? Raise your hand. How many of you have fear over things? Raise your hand. He's saying, listen, don't let your hearts be troubled and don't be afraid. My peace I leave you. My peace I give you. If Jesus said it and he's the prince of peace, it's probably going to happen. Himself. He says it. Jesus gives it. It's a gift. Jesus speaks of his gift and his gift to us is peace. And in the Bible, the word for peace, shalom, never means simply the absence of trouble, though we would like it to. It means everything that works for our greatest good. The peace the world offers us, and can I just say what that looks like, is a peace of escape. The peace that comes from the avoidance of trouble and the refusal to face things. That's what the world offers, peace. You'll be at peace, just ignore those things. But the peace that Jesus offers us is the peace of conquest. And you know what conquest means? I looked it up in the dictionary. You ready for this? The act or state of conquering. Peace that Jesus gives us is all about overcoming and conquering. It's that peace that life can't touch. I want that. And if I have that and I experience that and I have I go, wow. And the people around you go, wow. No experience or life can ever take it from us and no sorrow, no danger, no suffering can ever make it less. He loves us, he's for us, and he has us. Somebody should shout right there. That's just, that's a shoutable. Thank you. Here, here it is. It's independent of outward circumstances. We have a lady at our church who's suffering cancer, and I'm telling you, sweetest lady, never complains, and cancer's cruel. She didn't do anything to bring that on herself. It, it's the broken world we live in. 
Do you know what? She's one of the most peaceful people. She doesn't blame God. She doesn't blame anything else. She walks through life, and she lives her life for Jesus. And her cousin, who the whole time was mad at God because of her her cousin's cancer, saw how she walked through life with a peace that cancer couldn't touch because it comes from Jesus. Do you want to know? We baptized that lady a couple weeks ago, and she said on video, before we baptized her, the reason I'm following Jesus is because of the peace she has in her life, and I want it. You don't understand that your lack of pursuing peace and the wonder of it might keep somebody from Jesus. The way in which you walk through this life could show people the Jesus you serve. So this peace with God results in peace within ourselves. Listen, if the growing psychological industry is any indicator of how bad life has gotten, just go to the local bookstore and walk down the psychology or the self-help aisle and you will see people in search of peace to just quench the turmoil that is going on in their lives. And yet, I'm telling you, that, and I'm not saying anything bad about those things. We need that and we need each other and we need counselors. And sometimes we need to establish boundaries because people have come in and they've hurt us. And sometimes your lack of peace is because you haven't set boundaries. But I'm also telling you, why wouldn't we start with the one who's the prince of it? Okay. The, the philosopher Albert Camus, you don't have to worry about who he is, but he said something pretty awesome. He said, we, our era is an age of overt anxiety. So we pray for peace. Because for those who trust in Jesus, it's part of the gift that's been given to us. Dave read Galatians 22 last week. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, Peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. See, when Jesus left the earth, he said, I'm gonna send the Spirit. And when we give our life to Jesus, the Spirit comes and resides in us. And along with that gift comes these nine things that we can utilize in our life, but we have a form of godliness and deny its power. We have access to this unshakable peace because it's been given to us as a gift. And do you know that when you utilize that gift and it lives in your life, that you will actually impact people around you? Because Romans 12, 18 says this. It is, it is if it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with just the ones you like. Live at peace with the ones you're closest to. Does it say that? No, it says live at peace with who? As far as it depends on you, when it's in your control, live at peace. You're saying, you have no idea what they have done to me. I, you know what? I don't. And so you need to have a sit down and say, because of what you've done, here are the boundaries. And I love you and I understand that you don't understand it and you don't agree. But in setting those boundaries, you will find peace when you do it in love. Jesus said that peace between his disciples Sorry, was so important that if you're offering a gift during your worship and you know that somebody has something against you, leave your gift at the altar and go and make it right. This is important. When we're offended, sometimes it takes greater courage just to say nothing and let it go. Because in Jesus, God did that for you and me. Do you think God comes to you when you've messed up and been like, are you kidding me? I, did, I gave you a chance. Nope, mercies are new every morning. Matter of fact, he doesn't just let it go, but the Bible says he throws your sin as far as the east is from the west, and he forgets it. And for some of us, most of us, that's good news, because <laughs> there's bad stuff in there.
Has someone hurt you? Was well, even someone who should have known better? Let it go. Peace between you and the other person and the peace within you is more valuable than the feeling you'll get giving them what you know they deserve. And history has proven that. So inner peace, it's more valuable than the satisfaction of knowing that you got them back. In fact, Psalm 34, 14 says this, turn from evil and do good. Seek peace and what? Pursue it. Some of you have seen this video I'm gonna show you because Dave preempted me a year ago. Darn him. But it speaks to what I'm talking about in a way that only this video can because in 1914 on Christmas Eve, something happened. Germany had dug in on one side, Great Britain on the other. Trench warfare had begun and they were killing each other in no man's land. And on Christmas Eve, 1914, history records this happened all across the front and this commercial from Great Britain captures that moment. Watch this. The Germans claimed they won the soccer game that day. Dave argued with me. He said, well, at least we won the war. <laughs> but history records that they exchanged gifts. They took pictures with each other. They shared stories of family. They played soccer. And two sides who were told of each other that they were barbarians and should be hated became friends. Peace on Christmas Day, 1914, because of Christmas spirit. So if Christmas spirit can do that, what about God's spirit that lives inside of each and every one of us? As far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. What would happen if we lived like that? See, everyone experiences difficulties, and the follower of Jesus isn't exempt. And becoming a Christian does not mean that we'll suddenly be ushered into a perfect situation. But Jesus has promised to never leave us or forsake us. What kind of peace does he give those who trust him? It's a quiet confidence that since our sovereign, loving, all-powerful God is in control, we have nothing to fear. Jesus gives us peace with God through forgiveness of sin. So I say, seek forgiveness. Stop letting your sin control you or the sin of somebody else destroy you. He provides peace of mind through an unhindered relationship with him. So I say, follow Jesus. and Watch what he does. And he shows us how to have peace with man by teaching us how to love others. And so I say, pursue peace. See, when he's in control, no situation, heartache or sorrow, can ever disturb that peace. So it's time we make a 90-degree shift. It's time to stop gazing at your situation and, start, and glancing at God and start gazing into the eyes of God and glancing at your situation. And in that gaze, you will experience wonder. And in that gaze, you will find peace. Peace is about where you have fixed your gaze. From the Prince of Peace comes peace. On whom his favor rests, a gift. This Christmas and every day after. And to that, I say, wow. Wow. Would you stand with me this morning? God, I, I know not everyone in the room has made a decision to fully surrender their life and go after you. 
and I don't know what holds them back. Maybe it's something we Christians, the church, have done. And God, that's sad because oftentimes we're not the best representation of you. So I pray that if that's what it is, they could forgive us for representing you poorly or not at all. If it's just the sense of belief, I pray, God, that you would give them the faith it takes to trust in you and that they just watch as I've experienced this unshakable peace that changes lives. And God, I pray in the midst that we would be pursuers, as far as it depends on us, pursuers of peace, unshakable peace, God peace. And I pray that the picture is clear. As we gaze on you, it'll all make sense. In Jesus' name, amen.